Radio Mano Papachango. Back in Topanga after a week in Utah. If you follow me on social media, you saw some of the photos on Instagram and Twitter from Canyonlands National Park. Had an amazing time. Really cool. Is out there with uh, Tom and Judy and Aaron and um, Thomas from Moab and Doug. Had a really cool time camping in the desert down around Moab, uh, Canyonlands, Needles, Arches, beautiful area, really nice, highly recommended if you get a chance to, to go out that way. Went to the Grand Canyon, North Rim, of course, fuck the South Rim, North Rim's where it's at. So had a great time out there. I'm back in California now, trying to get back into the groove of normal life as normal as it ever gets. Um, before I get into talking a lot about uh, this episode, I just want to give a little shout-out to Brad Buzzard, who's doing a bang-up job of proofreading the manuscript for Tangentially Reading, which is coming your way before long. Uh, as always, as every as I do every week, just want to remind you to pre-order the book if you can, if you're interested, because uh, that'll help us get that first printing uh, big enough that uh, the costs go down. And, and I guess I don't I don't know all the details. They just tell me the good folks at Misfit just tell me, remind people, please remind people. It makes life easier the more pre-orders we get. So if, if you're thinking you might want a copy of Tangentially Reading and you can afford the, I think they're 20 bucks um, plus five bucks shipping if you're in America, I think it's 10 bucks to Canada and 15 bucks around the world, which is pretty reasonable. Uh, if you can afford that and you're up for the book, uh, please pre-order it. This week's episode is with porn star Asa Akira. She's very cool, very smart, very sexy, uh, very unguarded, as you'll hear, very funny and relaxed and uh, bubbly and energetic and uninhibited and um kind of i don't know uh i i wanted to say like she defies your preconceptions of what a porn star is like but at this point in my life my preconceptions about what porn stars are like have changed a lot so i don't know if she really defies mine uh, I expected to find someone who was uninhibited and intelligent and funny and relaxed and that's exactly what i found She's fantastic. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I also wanted to remind you uh, that there's um, sort of a discussion board for listeners of Tangentially Speaking that's broken up into different locations. So if you'd like to meet other people who listen to this podcast who might be in your area, uh, go to tspeaking.board, B-O-A-R-D, host.com. That's T-S tangentially speaking, tspeaking.boardhost.com. 
And if you can hear noise in the background, I'm sorry. My fucking neighbors have one of those wood chippers going. I've been waiting all morning for them to stop, and they haven't stopped. I'm running out of time. I want to get this podcast out. So I'm in the van, actually, with all the windows closed, the vent closed, because it seems the quietest place is even quieter than than in the uh, apartment. Um, but if you still hear that wood chipper going in the background, I apologize for that. Uh, I wanted to, to read a piece of poetry uh, that a friend just turned me on to. It's really beautiful. It's called Everything is Waiting for You. And it's by David White, W-H-Y-T-E. Your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. As if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions. To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely, even you, at times, have felt the grand array, the swelling presence and the chorus crowding out your solo voice. You must note the way the soap dish enables you, or the window latch grants you freedom. Alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. The stairs are your mentor of things to come. The doors will always have been there to frighten you and invite you. And the tiny speaker in the phone is your dream ladder to divinity. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. The cooking pots have left their arrogant aloofness and seen the good in you at last. All the birds and creatures of the world are unutterably themselves. Everything is waiting for you. That poem seems apropos this week. Uh, in light of all these sexual abuse um, accusations and admissions that are going on in the media. Louis C.K. is the latest. All right, back to Louis C.K. Anyway, and this question of, of sexual abuse and sexual predators, a lot of people have been writing to me asking for my opinions on this and my whatever, my thoughts on this. And it's a little complicated. Um, this this poem seems to be um, sort of a, a port of entry to this conversation, uh, especially the first line. Your great mistake is to act to the drama as if you were alone. As if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions. These guys who uh, insist on showing their dicks to women. What is going on there? I've talked about this uh, several times on the podcast in terms of dick pics and Anthony Weiner and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and I think there are different ways to look at this. One of them is to say, what's going on with these guys that they feel this overwhelming need to do this? What are they getting out of it? I mean, they're not getting 
sexual pleasure in any immediate sense. You know, Louis C.K. is like, hey, you guys want to see my dick? Ah, here's my dick. He's still got his own dick in his own hand. So it's something about those women being there. Their witnessing of this is what's getting him off somehow. And that seems to be related to this this line here, your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone. It seems to me that there's some very deep sense, there's, there's a very deep aloneness in the soul of someone who needs that kind of witnessing. There's a very profound loneliness that's expressing itself through this need to be seen that way. Um, alertness is the hidden discipline of familiarity. I love that line. That's a very interesting line, too. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. So, I don't, nothing that I'm about to say, please don't take it as minimizing the the grossness of this or the sort of uh, the the discomfort that these women have felt and and certainly the bordering on criminal if not in fact criminal abuse of power if, in fact, that happened. But it's very complicated because Louis C.K., clearly of all these examples, you know, I don't give a fuck about Roy Moore or David Vitter, who's another senator, still in the fucking Senate, by the way, 15 or more years since it came to light that, that he was, you know, dressing up in diapers and, you know, having his, you know, talcum powder rubbed on his balls by prostitutes. I, I don't I don't give a fuck about those guys. But they, but Louis C.K. gets me because and I think he gets a lot of you, too, because he's cool. He's a nice guy. He's he's been very generous to women. He's been very supportive of other uh, female comics in particular his stand-up routine a lot of it is about how unfair the world is to women i remember one of his recent uh, specials he he does this whole thing about how the incredible courage that women have of even being alone in the presence of a man that it's like a man getting into a cage with a bear it's you just hope he's not going to hurt you because we're so much bigger and stronger and all that stuff he's very sympathetic to women's perspectives so so this is very troubling and uh it's hard to know exactly how to think about it um but, I, but I'm thinking about it from several different perspectives. First of all, if this were a situation, and I don't know, honestly, I don't know the power dynamics here. I know that some of the women who have accused him of showing them his dick un, in an unwelcome sort of way, 
uh, were writers, were stand-up comics. They admired him. He's more famous than them. Maybe they were hanging out with him, hoping that he was going to hook them up with a job or whatever. Uh I don't know if any of them were currently working for him, so maybe if that were the case, then they'd be afraid that they would lose a job. Now, to me, those are two different things, two different situations. One is, if I don't go along with this, this person might take away something that I have and need. The other is, if I do go along with this, I might get something that this person could offer me. Those are two different situations. I think the first is, to my mind, verging on criminal because it's coercive. The second is not. The second is alluring. The second is, if we share this experience together, I'm going to feel closer to you and I'm going to do you more favors. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to you're going to have a different status in my life. Now, that might be creepy. You might say, oh, I got to watch this guy jerk off so I can like maybe get a job. That's creepy. Yes, it is creepy, but it's also kind of the way the world works. Uh, it's kind of the way a lot of situations happen. I mean, come on. How many young women are hanging out with older men that they're not necessarily attracted to because they like going out on the yacht or they like going to Vegas or they like going out on the airplane or whatever it is. Now, you might say, well, that's creepy and indecent. But OK, I guess it is. But it's also kind of the way things happen a lot of times. How many women have married men they weren't necessarily that attracted to? Because one of the things he offered was financial security. Let's talk to Melania Trump about that one. How many times does that happen? How many relationships are negotiations between some sort of sexual intimacy that maybe is not 100% what the woman's into in exchange for some sort of material security or comfort or trips or whatever? Again, I'm not saying that's the way it should be. If you've read Sex at Dawn, you know that I'm saying that women should have direct access to everything they need. They should have health care. They should have child care. They should have everything they need and not need to go through men. But the way the world is configured and the way it has been configured for tens or thousands of years anyway, is that men have cut women off from those things and the only way to get those things was through a man and one of the most direct immediate and successful ways to manipulate a man to get what you need from him is through sex that's why in sex of dawn we say darwin says your mother's a whore because the darwinian argument is that women since time immemorial have traded sex and fidelity for security, meat, protection, status, whatever, from men. Now, we argue that that's not the innate nature of men and women. That's a response 
to a world that's configured in a way that women are cut off from the things they need and have to go through men. So I believe that the argument we make in Sex of Dawn is deeply feminist. Um, so don't get me wrong here. But my point is that it's not really that unusual for women to put up with some kind of creepy weirdness from men in exchange for some material gain. Uh, it's not unusual at all. So what is Louis C.K.'s crime? What did he do? Now, he says that he asked all the women if he could expose himself and that they all said yes. The women, some of them have said, well, yeah, we thought he was joking. We should have said no. And, and in his apology, he said, I understand that when you put a woman in that position, when you have power, when you have fame, when you whatever, it's not a, really a question she's answering. It's more like a, a conundrum that you've put her into. I don't remember his exact word, but his point was that it wasn't a fair. She couldn't answer honestly. Although I, I imagine, I don't know if I read this or heard this or what, but this, some women said no. And he was like, oh, okay, fine. Okay, so the crime is that Louis C.K. showed his dick to women who, even though they said, okay, they didn't really mean okay. Now, I think we all agree that's embarrassing as fuck. It's creepy, whatever that means. I'm not exactly sure what that word means, but whatever it means, it probably covers whipping out your dick. Uh, when it's not clear anyone wants to see it. But but let's boil it down further. What actually happened? Adult women saw a man's dick. That's it. What is that traumatic? Per se? Have you, are there any women listening to this who have not seen a dick? If so, uh, no, there aren't. I mean, are there any men listening to this who haven't seen dicks? We've all seen dicks. Is there something innately magical and traumatic about a dick? Does a dick, like, reach out through the space-time continuum and fuck your brain somehow it's a dick i'd be more traumatized by seeing the fucking fungus growing between his toes honestly it's a fucking dick it's louis ck's shriveled little pathetic white dick and even if he had a heart on it's probably not significantly less pathetic than that so my point is this whole crime if we look at it in terms of a power play then it then it's bullshit yes uh but as i said i don't know the details i don't know that he hurt any of these women who said no i don't know that he you know um got work for the women who said yes i i don't know that but if we're looking at the act itself this guy exposed his dick and my deepest response is, so what? 
I think I've said her. I've said on a previous episode in terms of Matthew Weiner. Like I'm more traumatized by seeing an amputee's stump than I am by seeing a dick. And I mean, if some amputee's running around going, "Hey, look at my stump," that's it, it's disturbing, but it's not a crime. What is it about dicks that have this magical power to mind rape somehow? So all this thinking reminded me of a paper I read a few years ago, which I will link to on my website, uh, or you can just Google it yourself. It's the name of the paper is It's Only a Penis, and the author is Christine Helliwell, H-E-L-L-I-W-E-L-L. And the subtitle is Rape, Feminism, and Difference. So Christine Helliwell is an anthropologist or what well, i don't know if she's still alive but um this was originally published in signs the journal of women in culture and society in the year 2000 university of chicago press so christine Halliwell uh is or was an anthropologist who was living in papua new guinea uh, doing anthropological field work in 1985 and 86 in the Dayak community of the Jirai in Indonesian Borneo. I'm reading from her paper. One night in September 1985, a man of the village climbed through a window into the freestanding house where a widow lived with her elderly mother, younger unmarried sister, and young children. The widow awoke in darkness to feel the man inside her mosquito net gripping her shoulder while he climbed under the blanket that covered her and her youngest child as they slept. Her oldest children slept on a mattress nearby. He was whispering, be quiet, be quiet. She responded by sitting up in bed and pushing him violently so that he stumbled backward, became entangled in her mosquito net, and then, finally free, moved across the floor toward the window. In the meantime, the woman climbed from her bed and pursued him, shouting his name several times as she did so. His hurried exit through the window with his clothes now in considerable disarray was accompanied by a stream of abuse from the woman and by excited interrogations from wakened neighbors in the adjoining houses. I awoke, Christine says, the following morning to raucous laughter on the veranda outside where I was sleeping, where a group of elderly women gathered regularly to pound rice and so on. They were recounting the tale loudly and with enormous enjoyment to all in the immediate vicinity. As I came out of my door, one was engaged in mimicking the man climbing out the window, sarong falling down, genitals askew. The others were the others near her on the veranda, both men and women, shrieked with laughter. Now think about this. This is, a, from the anthropologist's perspective, this is an attempted rape. And the following morning, everyone's laughing their ass off. When told the story, I was shocked and appalled. An unknown man had tried to climb into the bed of the woman in the dead, dark of night. I knew what this was called, attempted rape. My own fears about being a single woman alone in a strange place, sleeping in a dwelling that could not be locked up at night, bubbled to the surface. My feminist sentiments poured out. How can you laugh? I asked them, my friends. This is a very bad thing that he tried to do. But my outrage simply served to fuel their hilarity. No, not bad, said one of the old women. Simply stupid. 
Several hours later, the woman came to the veranda, and I talked to her. I said, uh, weren't you angry? And why then hadn't you taken the opportunity while he was entangled in the mosquito net to kick him or hit him with one of the many wooden implements near at hand? She looked at me shocked. Why would I do that? She asked. After all, he hadn't hurt me. No, but he wanted to, I replied. She looked at me with puzzlement. Not able to find the local word for rape in my vocabulary, I scrabbled to explain myself. He was trying to have sex with you, I said, although you didn't want to. He was trying to hurt you. She looked at me, more with pity than with puzzlement now, although both were mixed in her expression. Christine, she said, it's only a penis. How can a penis hurt anyone? So that's the conundrum in this paper. Uh, a few pages on, uh, Dr. Halliwell says, the fundamental question is this. Why does a woman of Jirai, one of the women she was working with there, see a penis as lacking the power to harm her? While I, a white Australian New Zealand woman, am so ready to see it as having the capacity to defile, to humiliate, to subjugate, and ultimately to destroy me. This really is the question. What is the magical power of the penis in the Western world? She continues, for Westerners, genitalia, as significant of one's role of of the creative process, are absolutely fundamental in determining one's identity. In Jirai, the work that one performs is seen as fundamental, and genitalia, along with other bodily characteristics, are relegated to a kind of secondary derivative function. In other words, what she's saying is that in this society, the genitalia do not determine your gender. They're secondary. What determines your gender is what sort of things you're good at by nature. And generally, people who have female genitalia are good at the womanly things, the cooking, the processing of rice, the dealing with kids, all that. And the people with the male genitalia are better at the male designated things in the society, which are hunting and cutting down taro trees and things like that. But sometimes they don't align. Sometimes people with this genitalia are better at that kind of stuff and more interested in that. And so th this whole even using the word man and woman in describing these people doesn't really track with how they think of themselves. Because their being a man is not determined by having a penis. In fact, she says, Jirai understandings of gender were made quite clear uh, through the circumstances surrounding my own gender classification while I was there. They remained very uncertain about my gender for some time after I arrived in the community because, as they later told me, I did not walk like a woman with my arms held the way a woman does. I was brave when I was trekking from village to village, which was a male characteristic. I had bony kneecaps, which I guess is a male characteristic. I did not know how to tie a sarong in the proper way for women. I couldn't distinguish different types of rice. I didn't wear earrings. I had short hair, and I was tall. So these are all characteristics of men in that society. This was despite the fact that people in the community knew from my first few days that I had breasts 
and a vulva rather than a penis and testicles because they saw her when she was urinating. Uh, and it's, someone said to her later, yes, I saw that you had a vulva, but I thought maybe Western men were different. So this sense that your body determines what you are is something that is not universal in humans. Um, I'm not going to read the rest. This, this, I mean, I underlined a bunch of stuff I wanted to read to you. Um, but it's really worth, if this kind of thing is interesting to you, it's really worth reading the paper. It's not long. It's 15 pages or something. Um, I just want to read the last paragraph. In order to understand the practice of rape in countries like Australia and the United States and to work effectively for its eradication, feminists in these countries must begin to relinquish some of our most ingrained presumptions concerning difference between men and women, and particularly concerning men's genitalia and sexuality as inherently brutalizing and penetrative, and women's genitalia and sexuality as inherently vulnerable and subject to brutalization. Instead, we must begin to explore the ways rape itself produces such experiences of masculinity and femininity, and so inscribes sexual differences onto our bodies. I think that's really crucial because the presumptions, she's getting at the presumptions that underlie this situation. Harvey Weinstein is a fucking scumbag, no doubt about it. He was manipulating his power over women in order to get them to do things they definitely didn't want to do. And he probably got off on the fact that they didn't want to fuck his disgusting self. Louis C.K., I don't think that's what was going on. Louis C.K., I think, is very vulnerable. He's probably reeling from an adolescence of neglect and horniness and not knowing how to deal with women and awkwardness and all this kind of stuff. And his soul is crying out for some sort of witnessing and contact that he doesn't have and doesn't know how to get. And we're reacting to it, to this situation, based upon our presumptions, as she says, that men's genitalia is inherently brutalizing and that women's section and sexuality and that women's genitalia and sexuality is inherently vulnerable and subject to brutalization. Seeing a dude's dick I'm sorry, I don't see how that's brutalizing. When I was a kid, the first breasts I ever saw, bare breasts I ever saw, were my grandmother's. She was brushing her teeth. They were hanging down to the sink. She was probably in her 70s or something. Was that brutalizing? Was I brutalized? Was I wounded somehow by seeing her tits, her body? I think we need to get over this idea that the human body is has certain parts that will crush our souls if we see it. That the children have to be protected from seeing tits and dicks and asses. Give me a fucking break. They have their own tits and dicks and asses. 
They're everywhere. Are we going to be like the people on the fucking village in Ireland that forced dogs to wear little skirts and pants so that children wouldn't see their dicks when the dog walked down the road? Are we really that fucked up? Because we're pretty close. And you don't need to go to Papua New Guinea or Indonesia to find cultures that don't believe that there's anything brutalizing or dangerous about genitalia. Hang out with some doctors sometime or nurses. You take out your dick and show it to a female doctor or nurse. She's not going to be traumatized. She's, she's going to wonder what the fuck is wrong with you. She's going to laugh at you. So let's get over this fucking bullshit hang-up that we have, this weird magical spell that we think genitalia can cast over people, because the only power that that shit has is the power that we give it with this ridiculous belief system. All right. Now that I've finished my rant, the fucking wood chipper has stopped. So the timing is horrible, but I'm not going to do it again. So that's it. Uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Asakira, and I hope that my rant hasn't offended you. And I'll, uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to play you out with a little taste of a song called Sexomatic Venus Freak. Yes, I am. Sexomatic Venus Freak by Macy Gray. Dig it. Who's Presley? Um, I think, I believe that's Caleb Presley who works here. Oh. Um, he played, oh. I don't know, you know what? This is a sports media company and I know nothing about sports. Right. And this is actually a podcast room, not a conference room. We are, we are at Barstool Sports <laughs> yes. in New York City and I'm with Asa Akira who is my favorite porn star. <laughs> Do you say that to all the porn stars? <laughs> Pretty much everybody I know in the world of porn is really smart. I, it's I don't probably know just who you're people. meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like any, no, not any other industry, but yeah. like, yeah, we're not all dumb, but we're, you know. Do you think there's something about, all right, here's, here was my, my grand theory, which mm -hmm. you can just shoot down as, you know, bullshit if it is, but... My theory was that people who get into porn, women in particular, mm -hmm. are free thinkers. 
For sure. Like, I, I think, yeah, no, definitely we have that in common. But also I think the, to me, what I've seen is that people have such low expectations mm. of porn stars. Right. Like I go into a room and someone hears I do porn and like already I'm like ahead of the game. Because if I can like construct a sentence, <laughs> they're like, wow, you're so well spoken. Right. And I think, and I like that. I like that the expectation is so low because then it's almost as if like anything I say is, comes off as smart. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I my thing is I'm I'm into exotic women, mm -hmm. so I don't you know I'm not into white women. So mm -hmm. there's me. and the other there've been a couple gay call uh, what's his name um, Connor Habib, mm -hmm. you know, gay. I'm not into dicks much. <laughs> Unfortunately, I just I got in a lot of trouble recently. I did this whole uh, intro thing about dicks, like don't send dick pics, <laughs> and don't like whip your dick out of this Harvey Weinstein yeah. thing, and like. And uh, Anthony Weiner and all that. Why did you get in trouble? Well, because people wrote to me and they're like, "Hey, man, why are you promoting all this like shame around penises?" And I'm like, ah, "Yeah, it's not. I'm not promoting shame. I'm just like, don't." Sh and I, I did say dicks were ugly, though. <laughs> dicks are oh, ugly. Oh, so the truth comes out. Well, it's like you know, unless somebody's asking to see your dick, don't no, show for sure. it to them. You know, and even then, think twice. I mean, yeah, no, like. It, it's definitely, for sure, a form of harassment. And I, personally, I love dick pics. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I get that that's not the norm. Do you and love dick pics like, from guys you've never met? Yeah, I just like mm -hmm. it. But I. There you go, guys. Send, saying, me, send us <laughs> your dick pics. In saying that, I realize like, <laughs> that's a very specific, almost like a fetish. Yeah. You know what I mean? Most yeah. women don't want, or men, don't want dick yeah. pics flooding their inboxes. I mean, I don't want pussy pics flooding right. their inbox. And For I example. love pussies, but I mean, you know, when I'm... You want to look at them on your own terms. And when I'm like, oh, let's look at some pussies. I don't want it to be like, oh, here's an email from mom. And, oh, there's a pussy. <laughs> yeah. You know, no. In right. context. Right. In context, right. please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. But but the the thing I was getting at in that intro was like Anthony Weiner. You know about how mm -hmm. this situation? I was like, how is this guy going to prison because a 15-year-old girl saw his dick outlined in his underwear like, how is that traumatic? I guess I don't know the details. Oh, he was Did the he know she was 15? No. No, I mean, I know didn't. that much. I, See, that I have a major problem with. Like, I don't think it's fair that if you don't know that the girl is 15, like, that's... Yeah. Like, that's kind of fucked up. I get that, you know, obviously we're not supposed to be sending dick pics to 15-year-olds. Obviously. But, like... Well, but is it that obvious? I mean, <laughs> what 15-year-old has not seen a dick at Well, this here's point? the thing. I've been in trouble for talking about this very thing <laughs> before, so I have to be very careful. <laughs> All right. All I, right. I will say this. When I was 15, Let's go I was ready. Islam. We'll talk about <laughs> yeah. That always goes over well. <laughs> but, um, you were ready to see dicks at 15. I Personally, I was, you know, but of course there are many 15-year-olds who are not. So, and there's no way to test that. So but I guess it's just not, easier. I mean, isn't that just bad parenting? I mean, <laughs> my, my point is, it's, a, it's the body. It's a part of a body. Who gives a fuck? It's a dick. It's an ass. It's a, a brain. It's a heart. It's an elbow. It's just a fucking body. So the premise is right. that there are parts of the body that are so Sexual, powerful and magical right. that it'll blow your mind right. and you'll never be the same. And it's like, I mean, don't that we alone know that's is, not true? Yeah, and I think that is actually such an unhealthy way to exactly. think. Exactly. Right? right? Like the way we even like sexualize 
women's breasts. Right. Like there's, have you seen that documentary on Chaz Bono? No. When he's, um, when he's transitioning into a man. Um, I guess I have to like watch my words there, but yeah, he's a woman transitioned into a man. Mm -hmm. And like he, there's a part where he's still a woman and he goes in to get his breasts removed. And when he's, when the breasts are still there, they blur out the nipples. And then in the very next shot, in yeah. the next scene, the fat is removed and now it's a male chest. Oh. And they don't blur out the nipples. And it's like, those are the same nipples. Yeah. It's the, so the, crazy. The very same nipples. The very in that same case. ones. Yeah. 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 And now they're yeah. okay. It's, it's just the whole thing is weird. I think yeah. the human body should never be shamed like that. It's so right. unhealthy. That's my point. Yeah. That, that the premise is that the body has this power, you know, and that's what I'm questioning. Right. Like, you know, and I, as I lived in Spain for most of my life mm -hmm. where topless beaches are the norm. Right. It's weird. That's so cool about Spain. I was yeah. married to a Spanish guy and like, we would go to like the bar, the beach in Barcelona, mm. and like people would be on their lunch break, just like tanning topless. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, it was very chill. It yeah, was like, but you would never go to a restaurant without a shirt on. Right. You know. Right. It's, it's just a. It makes more sense to me. Spain always made more sense. Yeah. To me. So what's your thing? You're, uh, were you? I mean, f judging from your accent, you were raised in the U.S. You weren't. Yeah. You're not Japanese. So Japanese. I mean, I am. Um, my parents are immigrants. Uh -huh. I was born in New York City, and then we moved to Japan when I was six, and then we came back to oh. New York when I was 13. Oh, so you were in so, Japan for mm -hmm. some formative years. Yeah, but I went to an American school, so uh, I had a little bit of a different experience than like your typical Japanese kid. Can you speak Japanese with mm -hmm. your parents? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And have you ever been in Japanese porn, or has it always been American no, porn? No, I've only done American porn, and like I wonder... I wouldn't do Japanese porn just because, like, I'm an only child, and you know, all my relatives are in Japan, and it's like it's the one thing my mom has asked me through all of this is like, just don't shoot anything in Japan. So and, they like, know you're. Yeah, you're, they know, and like, you know, I'm like, whatever. If that's the one thing they're asking for, fine. Like, it's not really damaging my career to like stay away from Japan. So and you, um, you're, this is an assumed name, right? This is Asa is my real name. Oh, it's your Akira real name. is fake. Oh, okay. Um, but I, but I, I've also like never been approached about shooting Japanese porn. So I, I almost feel like I think I'm too American for them, but also, but also too Japanese. Like I'm not a blonde white girl, and I'm also like. I'm, but I also have fake tits and I'm loud and like mm. I, I'm not as like subdued I guess as mm. you know a lot of the women in Japanese porn. So. I, I find Japanese porn and Jap I find Japanese sexuality in general to be fascinating Agree. and very confusing. Agree. I it's, mean the whole Jesus. thing is like a huge oxymoron like yeah. they it's so suppressed in everyday life and yet people read porn on, on the, the train. Subway, yeah. And like hardcore octopus rape porn. Yeah. Like, Wah. And like, yeah. in their rape porn, the girl doesn't even like it at the end. <laughs> oh, like, it's rape all it's the way through. Yeah. But it's pixelated. Yeah, the genitals are pixelated, which is so why Japanese sex toys are all shaped like rabbits and right. things. You can't have a vibrator or a dildo right. shaped like a dick. I heard that that's actually also true in some American states or some U.S. states. Like, I think Oddly, like in, ironically, in Florida, I think it's illegal to own like a phallic-shaped 
or a, it has to like be a, shaped like Florida, r- <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like trash. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, well, in Texas, yeah. you can only own six sex right. toys, but as many guns as you want. Right. So you get a vibrating gun, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, I don't. So I don't crazy. Know. And also, like in Japan. Um, you know, like everyone's been molested on the train, and yeah. that is so normal. It's so normal that we have like a word for it right. for a train molester, and that's like crazy. Like he rubs his dick on you, or touches or your like, ass, or something. Or yeah, yeah. or like we'll grope your cram- pussy, or they're, mm-hmm. pull a Donald Trump on you. Right. Because they're so <laughs> crammed in, like you can't even move. Right. You can't even turn around to see who's touching you. Right. Oh, but like, yeah. that still doesn't make it like. I don't know, like the logical thing to do, yeah. I feel like. So it's it's very specific to Japan, I very think. Very strange. Okay, mm-hmm. and here's my theory. And please, mm-hmm. now, you're, you're probably the most qualified person to tell me if this is bullshit. Mm. You know how in Japanese porn, the women all sound like they're, they're it's Being painful? Being raped, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, my theory is that that's a cultural adaptation to men being uptight about their dicks being too small. So a woman making sound like you're like hurting her is because you've got this massive schlong and so it's like a cultural, oh, that's the that's the biggest dick I've ever seen kind of thing. Without saying that's the biggest yeah, dick I've ever seen. Right. That's really interesting like because on the other hand like it's true you don't see much like black rape porn. I mean like black right. on black rape porn. Right. That's really interesting. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know, like, what the facts are on that, but I'm open yeah, be, to it. It would be hard to... <laughs> to I'm open to it. You're open to it. That's what she said. Uh, we're going to have that's what she said lines throughout this. That's right. Fans can identify their own. That's what she said right. moments. And send Take them a in. shot every time. <laughs> that's right. Take a shot. Yeah, in, uh, I was reading this anthropological book, a great book, by the way. It's one of my favorites called Nisa, and it's the life of a Kung San woman. But, and they live in the Kalahari Desert in Botswana in one of the last hunter-gatherer societies in the world. It's such a beautiful book. This um, Marjorie Shostak was a grad student at Harvard, and she went to do her doctoral research with these people. and. This was in the late 60s. And her idea was she wanted to just write about women's experience in this group. So she learned the language, and then she went down there. And the women were just, like, not talking to her. They didn't want to talk about their private stuff Mm -hmm. with this weird white woman who came from nowhere. Um, But she finally found this one woman named Nisa who understood. Like, she got it. Like, oh, you're from another world. You want to know how our world works. Right. And she was very open, and so the she ended up writing her dissertation about this one woman, mm-hmm. and then later it became a book. And it's a beautiful book because um, it's you know their lives are so different. You know they're living in these little huts and they're traveling mm-hmm. around, and, um, but they're also exactly the same. It's all the stages of life. It's about being a child and you know playing and learning how to do the things you need to do later and then falling in love and then falling out of love and then having a right. kid and then getting older and then you know relationship troubles and you know sleeping with other people and jealousy right. and then, you know and all this the stages and the death of the parents and you know the whole thing. So there's this you know you're sort of like wow this is so different and so similar at the same time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
one of the interesting things I read in there was that it's an insult to tell a man he has a big dick in that society. Whoa. Yeah. It's like, you big dick idiot, you know, like. Is it like calling someone an oaf? I think it's <laughs> or like, like a gentle it's giant. It's like animalistic, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> right. Like you. Like yeah. a refined man would have a nice small penis. Like, you know, like David. <laughs> Michelangelo's David. <laughs> Why can't you exactly. be more like David? <laughs> That's right. Why can't you be more like David? That's so interesting. Yeah. You know, I, so it's not I a wonder, universal thing. That is real. I also always wonder, like, is it a good thing? If someone says you have big balls as a man, like, is that a compliment? Oh, I got in a lot of trouble. I gave a TED Talk. Okay. And one of the slides in nice my TED little, Talk. Nice uh, <laughs> Sneaky way oh, to slide that in no, right there. They, they all know. <laughs> no, I know too. <laughs> the I've audience seen has it. Heard I watched it a million it, yeah. times. Um, but there's a slide <laughs> in that TED Talk where there's, uh, you know, I've been talking about um, science and sperm count and mm -hmm. testicular volume and blah, 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 all this stuff. And then there's a slide where I'm shifting from the science and I'm going to start talking about how this applies to human experience, right? And so there's in the upper left hand corner, there's a gorilla lying on his back in the sun. And the gorilla's dick is like the size of your pinky finger. Mm -hmm. It's nothing. And there are no balls. His balls mm -hmm. are up inside his body. And in the upper right-hand corner is a bonobo who's got balls like chicken eggs. And then in the middle is this Italian guy, this friend of mine, uh, Viram, <laughs> who's sitting in a hammock wearing Speedos. And he's got big balls. And it says, it's labeled Gorilla Bonobo Italian, right? <laughs> and it said, the day before my talk, they made me take that slide out. They said they thought Italians would be offended. And I'm like, you tell so an Italian he has big balls, it's a compliment. Come on. Right. So that's, <laughs> but that's my exact question. Yeah. Is like, because we do, we do use it as like, what is it, like a euphemism or whatever. Yeah, like, like we're like, strong, oh, that guy has big balls. Like He's, he's bold. Yeah. But like a lot of literally big balls, is that a good thing? Like you wouldn't want to be a guy with small balls, I guess. No. Probably not. But big Although balls can be weird, too. to get kicked. Yeah, that's true. You want to keep them out of the way. Yeah. See, that, that all ties into the science. Well, you read Sex Adonia. The science of how we know our, our ancestors were promiscuous, part of it is that we have external testicles. Right. And there's only like three species or something, or three. Oh, there are lots of species that have external testicles. Oh. Yeah. Um, but they're all, none of them are uh, strictly monogamous. And even uh, like gorillas, they're the... Um, uh, alpha male, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the one male that mm -hmm, has sex mm -hmm. with different females, he has very small genitalia, but a big body. So they grow to be really big because the competition's between the males. So the biggest, strongest male wins, right. but he doesn't have to produce a lot of sperm because there's right. no competition. So if you say a guy's hung like a gorilla, that's not <laughs> that's a, a good thing. <laughs> Unless you're in that tribe. Well, <laughs> that, that might be too then. little of a good thing, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if you want to take it to extremes. Yeah. So okay, talking about dicks. Mm -hmm. You don't mind talking about dicks, do you? I love talking about dicks. All right. It's like my favorite. Subject. I don't get a chance to talk about dicks very much. <laughs> I, I've had women say to me, and I, I think this is like you know one of those things like you say that to all the guys, right? Yeah. I've had you know in the, that moment a woman would go, oh, it's so big, and I'm like, baby, no, don't thank you, but. I know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly where I stand I on the scale. I know more about dicks than any straight man you have ever met. <laughs> Believe me, I do. That's um, very like I, I read Playboy for the articles. Yeah, like, oh, I just know dicks. I just you know I, of my work. I know a lot about dicks. Um, 
What are we talking about? Oh, okay. So the other thing about the big dicks is long dicks. They always, you know, when we talk about dick size, we always talk about length. Right, but not girth. It's, it's all true. about girth. In fact, Girth Brooks <laughs> is my nickname for. Um, <laughs> Another humble brag. <laughs> Did a, I mention I've done a, a TED talk? And he's got a little hat <laughs> 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 on his little cowboy hat. Um, no, what do we? Uh, oh, so now if a dick is really long mm -hmm. and the pussy's not stretchy enough or long enough to take it off, right? Then. The clitoris isn't getting any contact from the right. man's pelvic bone right. in missionary position. And so it seems to me it would be counterproductive. When I watch these porn things and I see these guys with these massive schlongs mm -hmm. and it's like half is, only half his dick is in play. Right. I mean, does I that... Think, Are you missing something I think about there? this a lot. Because I know it's better for camera angles. Yeah, so I think the number one th reason why we have big dicks in porn is the camera angles. It really does make a difference because, mm. like, you know, we always have to open up to the camera. So, like, we do a lot of, like, pulling our asses apart so that you can see as much of the penetration as possible. I you just and it's easier with it a felt better. <laughs> You're ruining and it for me. With a big dick, you can see it more, yeah. you know. And then, um, and then also, in addition to that, I think... I think the big dicks are for the viewer. I, I notice that a lot of guys, porn guys, are like, if it's not a big dick, I'm not watching. And guys, these are like straight men saying that. Hmm. So I think it's a lot to do with the viewer. Like, I know that behind the scenes, of course, you know, there are women who are like um, size queens and like like really big dicks. But like personally, I'm not even one of them. Like I would rather fuck a small dick hard than like, a big dick slow. Mm. <laughs> right. So, um, and and I know that like behind the scenes, a lot of times we're like, oh, I have to work with so and so. His dick's so big, I'm going to be out of commission for like two days. So it's not like a. I don't know where that came from. Like I don't know why we're so fascinated by big dicks. Why well, I, I think it. I mean, I, I imagine part of it is just an American thing because we're fascinated by big everything. That's true. The biggest trucks, the right. biggest burger, Big burger, the biggest steak, yeah. the biggest all you can eat. Yeah. So part of it is just this this typically American misunderstanding, confusion of quantity and quality. Mm -hmm. um, and the other part, I think, is the requirements of porn. I mean, it's like uh, no pubic hair. That came about with porn because it's better for the camera. But you know it's back. Bush is back. Bush is back. I yeah. hear that. It's I mean, too back, I think. I've been living in Europe where... It's, it, it, it never it's left. In there, Bush never <laughs> left. I mean, it got trimmed. Yeah. But it didn't get, you know, no napalm. Yeah. I'm not... I don't know. I, I keep telling people because I... I've noticed in porn that Bush is back and then like in my personal life I come across a lot of like bald women and I'm like oh bald is like bald is out bald is so like two years ago Behind the time. oh and she's like I had it lasered oh yeah no, oh, no. <laughs> but I never liked the look of completely bald but I mean that's just a personal preference but like I think a little bit of pubic hair like shapes the hips and like mm -hmm. I think it looks nice yeah little landing strip yeah it's nice an Asian people aren't super hairy anyway so sometimes we are though yeah um because i look at like online i'll see a lot of like those big bush pornos like the ones that are like the fetish is a huge bush mm. and some of those japanese girls holy shit like it's crazy 
It's crazy. So how did you get, uh, how did a nice girl like you end up in <laughs> the bar stool? Oh, I thought you were going to say porn, yeah, but you well. meant bar stool. <laughs> <laughs> no, porn. So, yeah, how did it start? Um, well, so I had always wanted to do something in like the adult entertainment industry. Like I was always fascinated by like sex and sexuality. Like even when mm. I was young, like I've been masturbating for as long as I can remember. And, and honestly, I don't know why like not that this is the only way it happens but like I've never had any kind of traumatic experience or no like creepy uncle or anything like that and I've just always been super horny like right. like I remember being like really young and watching Sesame Street and like I used to be fascinated by pregnant women and when Maria was pregnant for like that year on Sesame Street I was masturbating like furiously every day really? <laughs> so I don't know where it comes from huh. but I always had this fascination and I thought like strippers and hookers were so cool and um, so I was just like walking down the street one day when I was 19 and this super creepy seeming guy came up to me and he was like hey um, are you interested in working in the adult entertainment industry and I was like actually Yes. It's your lucky day, dude. Yeah, and like I really felt like he was like an angel sent down to me. Creepy like, angel. Yeah, like he, he was like this creepy dude with like missing his front teeth, oh, had nice. a ponytail. And he um and he just so happened to be oh, like the man. night shift manager of a dungeon on thirty third street. So this was in New York. It was in New York. Yeah. And I followed him upstairs. I was with my ex at the time, so I felt somewhat safe. Um, and I was on drugs, so there was that whole thing. Which drug? But I was on I was on opiates back then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we followed him upstairs, and like I started training the next day. As a then, dominatrix. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then I met. Um, and I'm not like particularly like a dominant person sexually, but it was a really cool experience, and I it was just every every day was like just amazing like I was learning so much and then I met a stripper so I started stripping for a bit and then finally I met a porn star Gina Lynn at the club um and then yeah and then um and I was like please you gotta like show me how to do porn and so I went to shoot a scene with her in Pennsylvania I took like the Amish like the, porn yeah it was very much in Amish town or Amish country and like I I took like a like a bus to get out there, like a five-hour bus or something, and yeah, and then the rest is history. And what, and what was that first experience like? Were you nervous? Or? I mean, not really. Like it's weird because you know you would imagine that experience to be like, okay, here we go. I'm gonna do it. This is the mi the moment. But it really wasn't. Like it kind of just came and went. And by then, I wasn't on drugs anymore. And like it just kind of came and went, and everything felt so natural. And like. My, the thing I love about porn is like, I like making a porno. Like to me, that's the fantasy. Like I like being watched. I like being, you know, per the performance aspect of it. Like that turns me on. So like, it's not so much like, oh, I get to fuck all these different people. It's that too. But for me, the main thing is like, there's a camera there. There's going to be someone masturbating to this later. Mm. So the whole thing just felt like, I don't know, like kind of like how most people probably feel like having their first threesome or it just felt like this really heightened sexual experience and I was mm. like I'm gonna do that 
again. And your scene was with her? My scene was with her. Mm -hmm. Do you ever do a scene with someone you've never met and it's just like you meet them there? All the time. I mean, every first time I've worked with someone was like that. You're not like hang out in the green room before and get to know them a little bit. It's just do your scene. I mean, yeah, you're right. Usually there is like you meet someone beforehand, maybe 10 minutes before the scene. But like, for example, my last husband, (laughs) um, I met him on my, the first time I laid eyes on him was in a DP scene on camera. And, invo- then, and you were with and you? With me, yeah. Like, right. I was the one getting double penetrated. Right. And so he was in my ass, and there was another man in and my And it was pussy. love at first and it was love DP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was love at first anal. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, so that does happen. Did you feel a connection with him then, or is it something yeah. that happened later? I mean, not like, I don't believe in like love at first sight. Um, but I definitely had the feeling of like, I want to have sex with you again. <laughs> so what what do you think that was? Because you didn't you hadn't really spoken to him. You didn't know him. Was it his smell? I, I mean, it, do you know? What? It was something animalistic for sure. Something so, right. Something primal and like it was definitely a vibe thing and not like a mental connection thing. Right. Like it's not like we were like, so what's your Wouldn't favorite have movie? Online, <laughs> yeah. Tinder wouldn't have done it for you. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Right. Like that. And, and I think because of that, like, our relationship was very different. Like, it was the perfect for relationship for me at the time. But, like, now coming out of it, like, I definitely think there were... It's probably not the best way to, like, meet someone you're going to marry. I think it made <laughs> things confusing in a lot of ways. Yeah. Do you think you would have felt it if you had met him, like, at a dinner? I, or or was it know. the sex that allowed the connection to happen, do you think? I don't know. I'm still wondering that myself. Um, I think the sex had a lot to do with it. Well, it's kind of funny. Cause the reason I'm asking mm-hmm. is I th- maybe, I don't know if it was Dan Savage or 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 I don't, I don't know who I heard talking about this. And they were saying, you know, we do it all wrong. What we should do is when we think we might be interested in someone, we should have sex. And right if away. sex goes well, if we feel it, then then go to dinner. I couldn't agree with that more. Because we waste a lot of time lot getting of to time. know someone and then you have sex with them. It's like, yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. not really here. But now we've done this mm-hmm. and now it's going to be really hurtful mm-hmm. to acknowledge that it's I'm not feeling it. And, and, and there's also something like very... Um, vulnerable about like being naked with someone so i think once those walls are down like then you can actually be yourself right right? rather than like before you sleep with someone like you're not being yourself like you're being an image of your or you know yeah yeah there's a i mean a a nakedness that's not just physical right right yeah so I, i definitely agree with that like for for sure i and i think the only reason we don't is because we have this like idea that we should keep our quote-unquote body counts like yeah at a certain number or whatever you know Do you know how many people have had sex with? um i have a rough estimate so i actually i did a blog here at barstool about it where like i went back and thought about every single person i had sex with and i had to kind of do like a little bit more of a guesstimate for the numbers in porn but i figured you know with the amount of scenes and how many guys are in the industry and how many girls i work with a week so I think it came out to like 400 something, mm. um, which is lower than I would have thought, actually. You're young. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Got a lot of fucking Andy. <laughs> so many dicks to suck still. <laughs> That's right. So many dicks. Do you know? Do you have time. a number? Of how many men you've slept with? <laughs> yeah, it's 412. It's, oh, okay. You're, you're close. You're, Thanks. You're the ballpark. Um, I used to keep a list. Uh, yeah, I kept a list of the woman's name, if I knew it, mm -hmm. and a, knew it. a little something about her uh -huh. to remind me and whatever you know right. was special about her, or right. the moment, the night we met, or whatever. Um, up until... 50 or so, and then I lost track. Why did you stop? Just the sheer volume was too much? It, yeah, <laughs> I think a couple of weeks went by and it was like, oh, now I've lost it. Yeah, you it's know, too late it's, now. Uh, it's, you start sliding down the mountain yeah. and you're not going to stop until yeah. you get It's kind of like a Fitbit. Like you take, you go one day without it and you're not going to go yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> never thought of it that way. Um, yeah, no, they, it started getting kind of crazy there for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I just... Yeah, I forgot to <laughs> keep track. I'm not good at keeping track of Why do you think general. you kept track in the first place? Um, because it was so um, special, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't mean that in a sappy way necessarily, but I mean, you know, the first from you know, when I was 15 till I was probably 30, there were probably... 15 women or something mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it was so it really easy. started yeah and then it started accelerating and then, yeah yeah um so you know and each of those women were well not all all of them but you know probably 10 of them were like you know important women that, right that i really no offense knew. to the other five <laughs> no no they just were someone who came and went you know as you put it that's what you said um <laughs> But, no, uh, I ask because you know. I used to keep a list too. Yeah, and um, and I wonder why. Like, I I think there's also a little bit of like a trophy aspect to it. Like you're, you know, you do it and mm. you're kind of proud of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I also used to keep track of how many countries I'd been to. Mm -hmm. For me, sex and travel are very closely aligned. Whoa, yeah. is it like a conquering thing? No, no, not at all. It's it's more of um an exploring thing. Okay. Like, I feel like when I have sex with a woman uh, who I know, not someone I meet in a swingers club yeah. or, you know, whatever, um, but when I have a sexual relationship with a woman, I feel like it's like traveling to a country. It's like you, you learn a different way of being, a different way of thinking, right. and, you know, uh, yeah, and I love that. I, I love feeling like out of my world and into someone else's world. That's so interesting. I mean, now that you put it like that, yeah, you kind of, it's true. Like every relationship, I say that with air quotes, that you have with a person is definitely like, you are learning a little bit more about just the way you interact with people or, yeah. you know, have more empathy for how different people are. That's yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, I like that. I like that sort of. And I've always been like really fascinated by sex, I guess, similar mm -hmm. to you. And I was a very horny kid, but I was. But for me, it, it was also a very um, intellectual thing mm -hmm. from an early age. Like uh, my first sexual girlfriend. Well, <clears throat> so I had sex the first time when I was 11. 11? Yeah. That's so young. With, with a babysitter. Whoa. Yeah. How old was she? 16, I think. So 16 is that or 17. rape? 
I guess it would be. Like technically, yeah. Yeah, yeah technically, technically, yeah, for sure. Is, yeah. Did you feel like it was rape? No. Do you feel like that now? No. I've no. gotten in trouble for saying this before too. Yeah. But like I feel like it, it's kind of a weird thing when it's like an older woman with like a teenage boy. I mean, Eleven's a little young, I guess, but yeah. like I mean, like are boys really upset when like <laughs> Well, see, I, the problem with with these laws is that we try to apply them universally, and there's um, you know there's an argument to be made that laws need to be applied universally right. to be legitimate. But the reason we have judges is that the there are element. individual cases, right? Right. So some eleven-year-old boys probably would have been freaked out, but she didn't. There, there was no nothing forced. Right. I remember she had a boyfriend whose name was Chris. Also, I remember and. She and I had been flirting, and, and right. I knew that we were flirting, and I right. knew that there was like, a sexual tension. Yeah, yeah, and I wanted like I wanted something. I wasn't clear on right. exactly what it was, but I knew that she knew, and that she kind of right. So, and I, I was standing on the sofa, and she was like there. She was sitting on the sofa, and the TV was there, and I was behind her, and I was I sort of looked down her shirt, right? Yeah, and. She looked up and saw that I was, I'd been looking at her breasts, and she said, um, Chris touches them sometimes. And in that moment, I thought, she's telling me right. I can touch them. Right. And I want to. Right. But I don't know why I want to. Right. But she's telling me I can't. And it was just like, what's going on here? This is really interesting. You right. Know? Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So. But that's like what I meant about like when I was 15, I was ready. But that's not to say, like, the 15-year-old next door is ready. But I guess, yeah, like, how are you going to test for that? Like, or how are you going to... Sexual laws are so... I mean, they're... they're, It's illegal. A girl, 15-year-old girl, sends a a photo of herself to her boyfriend. She's breaking the law. Right. That's so cool. Like she is guilty of child porn. It's, it's so like what? Up. She's the person. It's like how it's can you not so own your body? Up. It's so weird. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, I get it. Like their brains are not developed. You know. Uh, but I don't you're know. gonna help her by putting her. You know, In, making her yeah. a sex offender for life. It's crazy. and not to mention like the shame of sending a nude of yourself. Like now, n- the now. The implemented shame, yeah. like it's so fucked up. Well, there's research showing that for a lot of kids who are sexually abused, mm-hmm. the trauma happens when the adults freak out. So no, I'm not talking about rape. I'm talking mm-hmm. about you know your creepy uncle touched you in a weird place mm-hmm. or something. It's when the adults freak out that the kid freaks out. That the kid's like, oh, oh, I'm a victim. If it's just like, hey, stay away from your uncle, you know, right, right, trust right. me on this. Then it's not, psychologically speaking, it's not as damaging. I a think, lot of the damage comes from the adults. I think that goes for, like, anything. Is, like, because our parents, like, literally kind of teach us at that age how to feel about things. Yeah. So if, I mean, if there's if there's pain. and Right, know, there, right, right. I mean, there no, can no, no, be no. things that are beyond interpretation, of course. But right. a lot of it is the way we it's made worse. frame it. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so 11 and then, but that was just once. And then 15 was the first time I had like Mm -hmm. a, and she could come when I went down on her, but she didn't come from fucking. Mm -hmm. So 
I found that fascinating. Like, mm -hmm. wait, she, like, this happens mm -hmm. here, but it doesn't happen here. Why is that? So I'm 15. I had this lockbox. This like, uh, I went to like Staples or one of those places and bought this locking key box, and I had vibrators and Benoit balls and at 15, 15, an egg, a vibrating egg, French ticklers, all these different types of condoms. Yeah. I was like, it was a toolbox. I right. was like, okay, we're gonna figure this right. out. <laughs> and she was cool. She was like, all right, let's I'll That's try. so awesome. And yeah. did you figure it out? Uh, <laughs> I mean, at 15, honestly, like... I figured it out later. It's, and, and I think for... I think that's why it's so much more interesting to have sex with a woman. Like, I, I think I lean towards straight. Like, I would only want a relationship with a man. And, like... But I love fucking women because, like, it's... A man, it's like, at the end of the day, you can get a dude to come. Like, that's easy. But a woman is, like... We're all so different, yeah. and like, and like, you really have to pay attention and figure out. It's like a puzzle, and right? It's in her head. Yeah, like that's the. There's thing. so much more that goes with it than just doing like than just opening your mouth or right. spreading your legs. Right. Which a dude, at the end of the day, it's like. Right. Yeah, I was talking to a little a little girl friend of mine. She was like ten at the time, mm -hmm. and she said. Um, Cats and dogs are the same animal, except the dogs are the boys and the cats are the girls. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Because <laughs> it's like I, every time I see a cat, I think it's feminine. Yeah. I mean, even if it's a male Why cat, it's got a feminine vibe. And you say, hey, come here, cat. And it'll be like, yeah, I'll come over there when I want to, when right. I get around to it. And there's a way of dealing with cats that's very, like dogs, you can be very directive. Hey, come here. Rah, rah, rah. Cats are like, you have to understand play their game. the cat, right? And yeah, and like reel them yeah. in in a different way. You have to play on their terms, almost. Yeah. And I, I always think I feel that way about female sexuality, and I think you know I agree with what you're saying. Like male sexuality is much more like a dog. Any dog will come and get his ear scratched, right? But to kid a cat up on your lap, there's to win a cat's affection yeah. is definitely more satisfying uh, and yeah, it's fun, gratifying. For me, the the thing with women is. And like the whole female orgasm thing. And so I, when we were writing Sex at Dawn, with mm -hmm. I, I wrote with my wife, right, mm -hmm. uh, who's from Africa, mm -hmm. but she's Indian. Mm -hmm. She's a, I like exotic women. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I hit the jackpot with her. I was like, <laughs> I'm done. Ten. Uh, anyway, she. Um, I, I was reading her this research that I said this. You know, this research shows that forty percent of women rarely or never have orgasm from intercourse. Does that sound right to you? And she said, oh, that's white American women. I was like, yeah, you're right, it is. And so Wait, much- Wait, is she saying that it's- She's saying orgasm rates are much higher in other cultures. Interesting. Yeah, because, and, and then there's other research that ties into this as well from Meredith Chivers at, uh, I think she's at McGill in Montreal. So she did this research where she, she had women, uh, how, how did it work? She had images on computer, uh, videos of uh, gay porn, straight porn, uh, lesbian porn, bonobos fucking, okay. an attractive woman working out in a gym, an attractive man working out in a gym. Okay. Right? And they would like play uh, randomly. Okay, and this is a Canadian study. Yeah, and so she had- So like essentially white America. Yeah, North yeah. America, right. So she had um, straight women, 
lesbians, straight men, and gay men watching this thing. And they had a dial on the table that they would turn up from like one to five, five meaning this really turns me on, yeah. zero meaning is doesn't turn me on at all. And then they also had um, these machines that measure genital blood flow. Okay. Right? Yeah. So the what she found was that for the, the gay men, the straight men, and the lesbians, uh, everything turned them on that you would think would turn them yeah. on. And the, and the other stuff didn't. And that what they indicated with the dial corresponded to what their genital blood flow was okay. indicating. But the straight women yeah. indicated with the dial what you would expect. But their blood flow? But everything turned them on. Their blood flow went up for everything, whether it was the lesbian porn, the gay porn, the, the dude the working bonobos. out, the bonobos fucking, it all turned them on. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. To different extents, but also the correlation. So the the, the main why, takeaway. Why? What does that mean? What what I think it means is that when you live in a society that's so shaming around sexuality, and you grow up um, being told not to trust your body, not to believe your body, that your body's ugly, that you're you know horrible if you feel this and that. And it's not only sex; it's eating. Yeah. Eat at you know twelve o'clock and five o'clock and yeah. like how about if you eat when you're hungry? Right. right? And oh, you got you know bathroom breaks. You got to shit. Well, I don't feel like shitting. Well, shit anyway. Right, you know, right. it's like it's all go by the clock. Not so we learn not to listen to our bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And, and plus the sex, uh, shame around sex. I think it's that women who grow up in these societies are disconnected from their bodies so that they don't know what turns them on. That's so interesting. Whereas boys grow up like, hey, does it turn me on? Well, my dick's hard, it must turn me on. You right. know? Like it's very easy to yeah, gauge yeah, it. Yeah. But as a woman, it's kind of like, well, I mean, you can't lie with boys. Yeah. You know. Although a lot, you know, our dicks get hard and it doesn't mean a damn thing. Yeah, I it guess. just means it's morning. You know? But I also wonder if that has to do with, like, I think in a way, too, though, like, women are allowed the luxury of, like, being turned on by, like, gay porn or, like, gay anything or lesbian anything. Whereas guys, I feel like you guys are raised to, like, like straight porn. <laughs> Well, definitely there's there's a lot of that cultural force, but I think there's also a difference between male and female sexuality in mm -hmm. that I think male sexuality tends to be more determined. Like more rigid. Yeah, I mean, in many different things, not just sex, but, you know, like men are like the the bell curve that goes down, the U that goes down in the mm -hmm. middle and up on. So we're either like gay or straight and there are very few in the middle. Right. And women are flipped, where there are very few who are totally gay or totally, totally straight, straight, and most are in the middle. But do you think, do you think we're naturally like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's evidence. But women for are that. allowed to be bisexual. Men are not. I mean, of course you are, but like, it's if a woman has fucked five women in her life, that's no big deal. She was crazy in college. No, Who cares? Whatever. No. A guy sucks one dick and it's like, oh, he might be gay. Yeah. Right? So yeah. like... I know. The first time I had a three-way with two women, uh, I woke up in the morning and neither one of them had been with a woman before. Right. right? And I remember as I came, like starting to wake up, my first thought was, oh shit, there's going to be like a lot of tension. Right. You know, because they were both still there. Right. And I woke up. Turns out I was the last one to wake up, and they were out on the terrace. and Totally having a grand time. They were like, hey, where's the coffee, man? I was like, and they're laughing. I'm like, 
And I, that's exactly what I thought. Like, if I had, like, sucked a dick last right. night, I'd be going, I'd be, like, taking like questioning me to a everything. psychiatrist. <laughs> My whole life's a lie. And they're just like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> What's for breakfast? <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. You're right. There's definitely a cultural thing. But I, I don't know. I do think that, um, you know, Dan Savage got in a lot of trouble for saying that, um, in his experience, most guys who say they're bi are really are gay. gay guys who mm-hmm. haven't come to terms with it yet. It's a right. transitional phase. And, you know, in the end, he said, well, hey, you know, OK, I was wrong. There there are bi people, de- bi guys, definitely. and blah, blah, blah. But still, his experience stands and he knows a lot of guys. Yeah. You know? And I've had the same experience. I think that with guys, it's it's harder to be in the middle. I mean, that's been my experience as well. Like, but I wonder if that's like, I wonder if we just fast forward right now, like a hundred years when like it's far more acceptable for a man to be bisexual. Will there be as many bisexual men as women? And also it gets back to some stuff like that you were saying in on your podcast, Mm -hmm. which people can hear at supercuriouspod.com. There it is. You know, you were talking about how, like, things that you know intellectually are kind of bullshit can still turn you on. Like, mm-hmm. this idea of being owned by a guy yeah. or whatever. So could you be, can you imagine being really attracted to a guy who's bi? Personally? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because so, a lot of women but I find that a turn off. Uh, okay. So I, right. I actively like that. Right. Um, so, like, a guy... Who gives a good blowjob? You're like that dude knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like something about it turns me on. I, I can't explain what it is, but but most of the things that turn me on, I'm like, I don't know why it turns me on. And it's probably better not to think yeah, about maybe. it too much. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I don't want to know. Go, the magic. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of worry about that sometimes. Like I think about sex so much and talk about it so much, I'm kind of worried I'm going to drain the juice out of it. It's time right. to move on to something else. Or like kind of like when like you go to film school and then you can't, you could never watch another movie normally again. Yeah, I have a friend who's a musician and he's like that. And, you know, and I'll, I'll be like, listen to this music. It's so magical. Right. He's like, he's well, like it's, it's shit. It's minor. No, it, it's not a shit, but it's like, it's minor chords. Of course you're feeling nostalgic. <laughs> it's like, that's what you do with right, the G major. Right. I'm like, nah, uh, shut up, man. Yeah. Just listen to it. Thanks for nothing. But also when we talk about all this stuff, like, you know, we're, this discussion about men, women, gay, straight, what, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, I often say it's weird because we think we know what we're talking about, mm-hmm. but... For example, there's this tribe in Papua New Guinea that believes that semen contains the essence of masculinity. Okay. So the young boys who are want to grow up to be the baddest fucking warriors. Don't masturbate. No, they suck as much dick as they can. <gasps> so they'll get the masculinity in them. And women will never suck cock because that'll make them men. So, That's so interesting. And the Maasai are similar. They have um, sort of uh, behavior. So they only take semen when they're trying to get pregnant. Right. Well, yeah, and, and they don't, they never, like oral sex is very Off rare among hunter-gatherers. Even in even modern-day Africa, oral sex is very rare. I think about this all the time. Like, can you imagine the first person to ever give a blowjob? Yeah. Like, they were probably like, you want me to put your dick where? <laughs> Like, uh, no. Yeah. yeah. I eat like, that. that's on my face. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's still some people thinking that. Yeah, way. no. I just yeah. found that out the other day, actually. Because I've been so... I, 
I'm in such a way, you know, I've been in porn for 10 years now, and I think I get so jaded in a way. Like, I just le heard the other day my friend saying that, oh, yeah, like, a lot of girls just don't give blowjobs. And I was like, huh? Yeah. Like that? Why? No girls I know. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe our, um, our, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, uh forget it. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, we're probably not among the right people for that. Yeah, well, I was thinking that too. I mean, there are certain <laughs> cultures and religions that pr it's probably much more unusual. Yeah. But then, getting back to our earlier conversation, in those cultures, so mm -hmm. let's say, I mean, I've often thought like, the hottest sex ever might have been between a priest and a nun, mm -hmm. like in the woods back behind the church. Mm -hmm. God's watching, we're gonna go to hell for this, but we gotta do it, yeah. gotta have it. Like, there's something about repression that actually pressure cooks, and if, and for you know, sure. and your job and mine is sort of, in different ways, removing that pressure and the stigma totally. and the shame, and like, hey, just have fun and totally. you know, don't be ashamed. It kind of blends it out a little bit. That, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, like, even, you know, after having, like, being, I've been gangbanged and been in orgies and, like, done all this stuff. But, like, when I think to, like, the hottest sex, like, yeah, a lot of times it's, like, when your parents are in the room next door and you have mm. to be dead silent. Right. Or, you know, like, right. when you're not allowed to. But I kind of almost look at porn as a whole like that. Like, I think <laughs> a whole. Um, like, it's, I think if it weren't so taboo, the porn, doing porn, right. weren't so taboo, like maybe I wouldn't be as drawn to it. Like I think yeah. that it adds excitement for me, is that like it's so wrong. Sometimes when I'm watching porn, I think how funny it is. I like, I watch it as an anthropologist and it's like, <laughs> it's just so funny. These people are making money doing what everybody does. Everyone. Or wants to do. Yeah. And it's just like, it's it's just so, ridiculous mm -hmm. and weird and funny and like I don't know I, I've I feel felt like, like an that alien. so many times like especially so my favorite thing is DP but like it's also the thing I get paid the most for aside from gangbang I guess which includes DP is it because it, the way it feels or the just, forbidden nastiness of it yeah or? it's just the forbidden nastiness of it I think mm. But like I all every time I do a DP scene, I'm like, man, I'm like really rigging the system here. Like, I can't believe like, yeah, I'm getting paid to do my favorite thing that I would pay for someone to do to me. Right. right. So I, I just feel like, wow, I'm really getting away with something here. You know, I I have to admit when Simon, uh, our our mutual friend Simon, put mm -hmm. us in touch, uh, I sort of looked you up online and mm -hmm. watched a few scenes. And I'm very, I maybe all guys say this, but I think I'm very good at telling when women fake mm -hmm, orgasm mm -hmm. because there are certain things, mm -hmm. like, you know, we curl our toes. Yeah. Do you know why? Yeah. Why? That goes all the way back to monkeys so they wouldn't fall out of the tree. What? Right. Is that why our whole body tenses? Well, I don't know why our whole body tenses, but you know, we stop breathing too. Men, yes. men do. Men hold their I breath. I do, for sure. Yeah. Like, a lot of times when I'm coming out of it, I feel like I'm going to faint because I've held it for too long. Yeah. Anyway, I was watching a couple of your scenes, and I was like, I think she's really coming <laughs> yeah. here. I could be wrong, I but am. I think and she is. I mean, not to say that I've never faked it. I'm a woman. Of course I faked it. Sometimes it's just the way to make it go the fastest. Yeah. But, like, for the most part, <clears throat> in, in porn, I haven't, just because I think I'm really 
if I like put my mind to a certain place, I can come. Hmm. Like, can you think yourself to an orgasm? Yeah, I can. So without touching mm, anything. I mean, I'd have to like hump a sofa or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I could like the grind the feet machine. into it. Yeah. yeah, but I could. Yeah. You know. Do you remember your first orgasm? No. I don't. Huh. It happened so gradually, I think, because I've been masturbating so long. Right. And I definitely wasn't coming as a kid. Like, I, I just knew that it felt good and, and that you was come it. come in dreams? Yeah, yeah, but I don't know if it was a wet dream. Like, I didn't necessarily wake up with, like, my vagina pulsating and, like, my toes curled or anything. Right. But have I come in dreams? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the most intense orgasm I've ever had. In your, in your dream? Yeah. Was it a wet dream? Yeah. That's so... Crazy yeah, because I had. To guys. I mean, I didn't learn to masturbate till like a week before. I didn't learn to masturbate till I was fifteen. Is that late? I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, it's really late. And I was so I was having wet dreams from the time I was like thirteen or something till right. fifteen. So I was like, for two years I was coming like every month or so, yeah. dreaming. I couldn't figure out how to masturbate. What the fuck is going on? And I saw people doing it, like you know, that yeah. making that motion, and I'm like, I do that. It hurts because I'm circumcised. Right. So it never occurred to me to use lube. Right. Never occurred to me. I right. don't know what I was like. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. But it was just like, yeah, that hurts. I'm not doing that. It's so weird how little we know about sex when our bodies are already like trying to be sexual. Oh yeah. Like I remember the first time I had sex, I thought I was pregnant, and I went to get a pregnancy test that day. And like to me, that's like <laughs> such a failure on like on like my school's part. Yeah. Or my yeah. parents' part. Like I shouldn't. That's so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, you know, hunter-gatherer girls don't start ovulating till they're like 17, and they start having sex at 12 or 13. So they have a good five years of no pregnancy sex. Whoa. Yeah, at the beginning of their lives. So it's like, hey, no problem. Why do they ovulate so late? Because their body fat content is very low, and body fat is what triggers ovulation. Oh, so they're all like gymnasts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Athletes often right. stop ovulating because their body fat content is low. Oh, and that that has very sort of unsexy effects in, in lots of ways. You know, uh, contemporary women menstruate about 450 times in their lives, and our ancestors about 100, 100 to 150. So about three, four to, three to four times as much. Well, we also live longer, right? No, we don't. Oh. No, that's a myth, uh, a false myth. Um, and so that contributes to breast cancer and um, ovarian cancer and all that uh -huh. because of all these hormone surges and right. it's it's uh, pretty interesting how we've messed with the body in all these different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. But anyway, what are we talking about? Uh, first orgasms, wet dreams, jeez, it's a good, whoever I, does the show notes <laughs> for this episode is going to have a great time. <laughs> Nate, there's a guy named Nate up in Alaska. Shout He's out all, to Nate. Nate of the North. He's up in Alaska and he's been doing show notes. <laughs> he's going to love this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should let you go. We've we've talked for almost an hour. I I could talk with you for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Well, that's great. what I was thinking actually. Is like because you said you know if you do too much research and talk about sex too much, like right. is it just going to become this bland thing? Are you going to burn out? I guess. But like I don't think so because this is my favorite subject and I don't ever get sick about talking about sex. Yeah. Like just. Even, like, I could talk about the same subject over and over again, and it's just, like, fascinating to me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm fascinated by, I'm, I mean, I'm fascinated by like thinking my way out of boxes. Mm-hmm. And sex is a really Boxy strong thing. box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. so it's always been fascinating for me because it's like, they're telling me this, but right. I feel that. Right. And, mm, and something's mm, not adding up. What's going on yeah. here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the whole... The whole thing with uh, porn. Do you, what do you think about porn? Do you think there's? I mean, do you ever feel that it's uh, destructive or hurtful? You know, I wonder. Like, I'm, I'm not decided because. Well, I, I'm assuming you mean like watching porn, right? Well, I'm thinking about, you know, if you, I don't know if you plan to have kids or anything, but if mm-hmm. you have a daughter, let's say. Oh, I, yeah. How do you feel about her, like, 12 years old, seeing porn? Or, yeah. You know? I feel, like, so undecided about that. Because on one hand, I'm like, there should be zero shame around sexuality. I think watching people have sex should be no different than, like, watching a man drive a car or, like, mm. whatever. Like, I think the more shame we bring about sexuality, like, that's where all the problems come into play. That's why we have, you know, sexual assaults. And, you know, that's why like girls end up sleeping with guys they don't even want to sleep with you know like I think so much would be solved if we could just embrace our sexuality Mm. and like be proud sexual beings but on the other hand I definitely see a point in like you know I I think there's a real real trend in porn right now where everything's going really hardcore and personally I like that I like exploring all kinds of sexuality like not that I need it to be rough but I like exploring that side of myself. But like, yeah, if that's the only, if that's the only, or if that's like the first thing a kid is seeing, is that, is he gonna be confused and think that's what he needs to be doing or? Right. But then that brings me back to like, if we had sexual education, we wouldn't need to explain that to him. Like, mm. that wouldn't be his introduction to sex. Right. Right, so I have a lot of feelings about it. I think ultimately, I would love to see the world be in a place where, like, no, like, everyone can just watch porn and it's fine, but I can still recognize that right now, like, maybe we're not quite there. Like, I think the sex ed system needs to catch up. What do you want to do? Do you think, like, I'm going to do porn for another five years and then get into something else? I have no idea. Like, now my thing is, like, I'm going to do porn until it's not fun anymore, but I'm also at the point where it's, like, is it ever not going to be fun? <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, But I do think about having a family and stuff, and I I don't know. Like, I'm such an all-or-nothing person that, like, I can't imagine, like, having a kid and then still wanting to juggle, like, this job at Barstool and porn and um, motherhood. Like, I think definitely people can, you know, quote-unquote, have it all, but, like, I see myself being... Once I have a kid, I, I probably will want to focus on that for a while. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm undecided. That's the answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, undecided is the most honest place to be. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I also find that every time I say like or I commit to something in the future, I end up like embarrassing myself. So <laughs> I mean, there was a time I said I would never do anal. So I try to keep that in mind. You know, I'm still saying that. <laughs> Never say never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish I were gay or bi. 
bi, not gay, because I like I like women. But I mean, God, men who fuck men haven't made. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they that's, do. I think that seems like the most um, fun sex life. Well, because the thing is, you know, what you said earlier about how it's it's great having sex with women because they're so complex and interesting and mm -hmm. nuanced and all that. That's framing it in a very positive light, and mm -hmm. it, it is positive. But, but on the reverse side, a giant pain in the ass. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jesus Christ! And it's not only that every woman's different; it's that every woman is different every fucking day. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you're ovulating, oh, then you, you're super horny, and then you I you want to. Oh, now you're not ovulating. You don't want. Oh, Jesus Christ! Every day is a new fucking day. I like struggle with that because, like. <laughs> On one hand, I'm like, that's a very real fucking thing. Yeah. And like, I am so emotionally different every day. Yeah. But I also resent when men say that because then it, <laughs> no, because it takes like the, yeah. the, the justification out of anything I say because it's like, oh, that's just how you are today. Right. But it's But it is how true. you are today. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I see both sides of that. And I really, you know, I really, I sympathize with it because, mm -hmm. I mean, women I've lived with, I've loved mm -hmm. in every case mm -hmm. and so I know they're not fucking with me right. they're, they really feel the way they feel right but it's exhausting as a man because it's like you know I feel the same way I felt if yesterday. you think it's exhausting let me tell you what it feels like yeah. <laughs> it's trust me yeah. it's more exhausting for us <laughs> I think but you have more energy see because you evolved to deal with yourself right, right. we didn't I, I often think men and women shouldn't live together I think the best thing is like You've got your place. I got my place. That's so interesting you say that. So in my yeah. last marriage, this is the first time we ever like I ever implemented a system like this, but we had separate bedrooms. Mm. My dream is so you know Frida Kahlo. Sure. Had um her and Diego, Rivera. I forget his name. Yeah, they lived in separate houses that met with in a bridge yeah. at the middle. And I right. think that's so romantic perfect. and logical yeah. and perfect. Or like I would love to have like two apartments in the same building. Right. And, but yeah, like, but the two bedroom thing was like very, I mean, obviously we're divorced now, so it didn't work out, but like, I, I thought it was a really cool thing that we did. I've always, since I was a kid, my dream has been to have a big piece of land with a stream running through it. Mm -hmm. And I have my place, she or they have their places. Mm -hmm. And there's a central area we can get together yeah. with, you know, the, the sauna and a little pool. And yeah, little like kitchen. a clubhouse. Yeah. And so when you want to be with people, there are people. When right. you want to be on your own. And also you have your space. So, yeah, having space is everything. So much just of what couples things. fight about is just bullshit. Yeah. Or know? like maybe you like it cold and I want it hot. Yeah, like, exactly. Right. Also, like, why do two people have to be together when they're asleep? I don't understand that. Yeah. But... Especially yeah, I definitely. They both snore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, or like you know that show Big Love on HBO. I've seen the Utah. They had a great system. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they each person had a house, and they all surrounded a pool. Yeah. So they all like yeah. went to each other's houses yeah, and shared the pool and. Yeah, yeah, that works. Yeah, I think a communal kind of living situation is was where we're going. Yeah, I hope back it would be back cool. to where we came from. But it's also very expensive, and like that's something yeah. you know most people can't afford. So yeah, although villages, I mean, there are villages in Africa with no money at all, and that's how they're living. Right. I, I guess everyone would have to be on board. Tiny houses. Yeah. yeah. Tiny houses, and or I have a buddy and lives out near Joshua Tree. He has all these airstreams. Mm -hmm. 
just a big piece of desert and airstream what tra- airstream? they're the silver trailers shaped oh, like bullets really beautiful yeah and he has four or five of those yeah it's really nice oh that's cool yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Hey, I think they're trying to get in here. Yeah. I, I hear people. Thank you. Thank for you doing so this. much for having me. Yeah. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and are financially able, go to patreon.com and search for Tangentially Speaking. You enter your credit card, tell them you want to give me a buck, five bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 200 bucks, and then they'll just automatically ding your credit card and you don't have to think about it again. Uh, If you don't have uh, the money to do that, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends about the podcast, write a review on iTunes, or just enjoy the podcast. It doesn't matter. I want to thank Basin and Range for that intro music. The song's called Bright Side of the Sun. And you can check them out at basinandrangeband.com. If you want to talk about the podcast, you can go to Reddit, where there are a few thousand people chatting about the podcast. Uh, I drop in and answer questions, post photos, uh, whatever. Pretty cool community there. Another forum where you can meet fellow listeners to this podcast is at t eight. No, sorry, tspeaking.boardhost.com. This has been set up by a listener to enable people to um, register and uh, their different states and countries so you can find people who live near you, get together, have a beer, smoke a bowl, eat some mushrooms, dance under the moonlight, however you celebrate these things. You'll find uh, like-minded spirits on that. It's Again, it's tspeaking.boardhost.com. Dot com. And uh, if you want to get some T-shirts, we have the Civilized to Death shirts, Sex at Dawn shirts, Tangentially Speaking shirts. They're all in my mom's garage. She will get them out to you in a jiffy. Julie, my mom, is one of the most efficient people you will ever meet. So you can find those on my website. That Chris Ryan, chrisryanphd.com, tangentiallyspeaking.com, whatever. You'll find them. Just look in the store there. If you want to buy some other T-shirts from the same manufacturer, that's Shore Design T shirts they are fantastic i know i say this is an ad free podcast uh and this could be construed as an ad but sure design t-shirts have been supporting this podcast since its inception bennett who was the dude there decided he was going to support the podcast he sent me a bunch of shirts uh at an extreme discount to uh, help us out since bennett died the people who took over suredesigntshirts.com uh have decided to continue giving us the same deal that bennett gave us So be sure to use the discount code CTD, as in civilized to death, when you order anything from them and you'll get 20%, 20% off your entire order. That's the discount code CTD, and that's at suredesigntshirts.com. Thank you to Carsey Blanton for the song you're about to hear. You can check her out at carseyblanton.com. She performed this little ditty, especially for us. Sounds like she was sitting in her garage. You can hear the birds chirping. The song is called Smoke Alarm, and it's a reminder to live now because you're going to die one day. This is for you guys, Bennett and Justin. Miss you. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. 
What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. Doesn't ask for much. A little music and a soft touch. Why don't you let it out to play? Your heart is in a birdcage, singing in your chest. You wanna shut it up, but give it a rest. You're gonna die one day. Why do we waste our time thinking about a reputation? go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground 